0: Good morning, it's my pleasure to be with you. I am Kurt Stapleton, and there's a bio in the back of the bulletin there. Um, I grew up in Maryville, Tennessee, in a PCA church, and uh, I spent 10 years in Johnson City with RUF and Westminster Church, and and then um, church planted in West Virginia in 2008. And now we have the privilege of planting again by God's grace, and so we are planting Redeemer Church in Athens, Tennessee, and uh, whether you know it or not, your church actually supports us, and so the first thing I want to say is thank you uh, for your generosity toward us in our church planning efforts, and we, uh, we welcome your prayers and uh, covet them. Uh, we, uh, my family just moved there in December, so we actually have, we're, we're really fresh. We've just got here, and so uh, just want to let you know that. This morning, our sermon text is from John chapter three. I want to read a, a passage uh, probably familiar to you that's tied to the two you've just heard, and um, I'm just going to read the first fifteen verses. Uh, not actually get to sixteen, the uh, the common uh, gospel verse that's often memorized. But I want to look at the first fifteen verses this morning, and the title of the sermon is the gift of faith. So I invite you to stand. Let's stand together as we hear God's word from John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, much, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've preserved it through history, and that you give it to us, Lord, as a great treasure. We pray now that we might understand it, that your spirit would pour out upon us Lord, that we would be changed and that some might even come to faith for the first time and others encouraged and deepen their understanding. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This is the gospel of our Lord. To you, Amen. One of the things that uh, I get to do as a church planner is um, I get to church hop, in a way. You know, I get to visit uh, all the churches that I uh, want to in Athens in this season as we gather people for Bible study. Not gathering from the churches, but as we uh, spend our Sundays there, half of them anyway, uh, we get to go to uh, a variety of churches and uh, there's no PCA in McMinn County or Athens, Tennessee. That's, that's why Tennessee Valley uh, wanted to send someone there. And so um, it's been good because I'm reminded that, you know, God is at work. God has been there long before we showed up. Uh, but I'm also aware of uh, the teachings and the things uh, there in various churches. And one of the things that's distinct and unique that sort of uh, uh, sets... Uh, Reformed Churches Apart uh, is our understanding of regeneration in the order of salvation. And, And I hope that's not a brand new term, but it might be. And that is the rebirth that Jesus is talking about here with Nicodemus. And it's interesting because all of us who've done ministry know that ministry often is divided into categories you think, either I'm doing evangelism or I'm doing discipleship. Uh, Being in Morgantown for 13 years, uh, students who are often very teachable would come to me and say, Pastor, will you disciple me? And, of course, I welcome that, and I go, sure, let's, let's meet for lunch maybe every two weeks, and we'll read some books together. And so discipleship, we understand to follow conversion, but yet when Jesus is discipling his disciples we sort of wonder, especially in the book of Mark, when do they really believe? When do they really come to faith and embrace Christ as Savior, as the Son of God? And see, here this morning, it's a little bit of a topical sermon about the order of salvation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. In the Latin, it's called ordo salutis, if you want to study it. Um, from various uh, books, you can study on that. But it, it shows us how, how we're actually... Uh, converted and then we have faith and we believe and we are adopted in the family of God. We are sanctified, waiting for glory. And uh, this is recorded in Romans eight and, and uh, in other places in the scripture. But you know, we, we, we may say, well, why do we need to know this? And, and admittingly, sometimes we can see that churches of various theological persuasion do ministry very similarly, right? But why do we need to know this? And, you know, if I was to ask you, um, do we need to teach a teenager how to drive a car? Of course we do. The state we just came from required uh, uh, people on their permit, young people, to drive 50 hours, and I think Tennessee's 40 hours is what I heard recently. So, uh, if my teenage daughter is going to drive a car, she has to document 40 hours in the seat uh, with a parent in order to get a license. And so we know we have to teach a child how to drive a car, a young person, a young adult, because it's dangerous. They're driving this machine that's several thousand pounds. It can be a deadly weapon and we must teach responsibility. And so the question goes a little further. How much do they need to know about the car? Well, in my family, uh... my son is driving my twenty-year-old dodge truck okay twenty-year-old truck and he knows he has to check the oil right you have to check the oil you need to change the oil periodically you, you parents are smiling you know this and so when you pass on your used car to to someone and, and you encourage them you know this takes some maintenance right i mean we all know it takes gas to go down the road um, i noticed that diesel was over five dollars driving in this morning um, and so we have to learn something about it, but, but some personalities get real excited about how things work. You know, some of you want to know how your cell phone works. Others of you really don't care as long as it works. I remember my sister-in-law saying, I don't care what kind of car I drive as long as it starts when I turn the key. That's all that matters. But you see, Jesus here wants to teach us about ministry and what he is doing with Nicodemus is he's teaching him the proper order of events, the order of salvation that takes place in a believer's life. And here's what I want to say on the front end. Jesus is doing evangelism. How are you at evangelism? This is tough. You know, how, how do you do evangelism and how do you understand it? The nuts and bolts and how it works and so on. Discipleship comes a little easier, but Jesus is doing evangelism here with Nicodemus. When we understand regeneration the way Jesus teaches it here in John chapter 3, we understand this first, that regeneration is from God. When he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again and that which is flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What does that mean? And then he goes on to say that that we can't really, you know, we can't see the wind, but it blows where it wishes. You know, this is sort of hard for us because we want calculated, predictable things in our lives. But Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about regeneration. You must be born again of water and of spirit. I love the passage in Ezekiel 36, I often read that when I do a baptism. Uh, I teach on that periodically to to show that, that God told Israel, I will take you out from other nations and I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Those people would be filled with the Spirit after the Spirit regenerated them and they would walk with God. And if you know that passage in Ezekiel chapter 37 is the Valley of Dry Bones, a really exciting story to read uh, that follows that regeneration. And so if I ask you, why did Israel believe back in Ezekiel? You can see that they believe because God sprinkled clean water on them, an outward sign of an inward work, that He washed them clean that he covered their sin and he gave them his spirit to walk with him. You know, one of the things that, uh, that we promised when we moved, uh, when we lived in West Virginia, we were 10 hours from family, and so we made a promise that we were going to get another dog when we moved back to Tennessee, because now we're a few hours from family. And so we got a puppy, we got a German short hair pointer. And I had to bring him to the track meet at Farragut just a few weeks ago because he's so high maintenance, he can't be left alone, and all of these things. And we've done so much research about having a puppy. There's a website that says, here's five reasons you don't want a German short hair pointer. And I've read them twice, still bought the dog. We have to research so much, it's like fight for your life. This dog chews on every piece of furniture he can get his mouth on. Our house is covered with chew toys. We need to learn about how to take care of things, cars, dogs. We need to learn about this precious salvation that we have. How did we get it? And it will transform our lives. And so if I was to ask you, sorry, why do you believe? We need to understand why we believe and then it really opens the door for us to understand grace and mercy in the gospel like we've never understood it. When we understand why. Why are you here? Why are you here when it's 22 degrees? Why are you here to worship God? It's because God took out your heart of stone. One thing that's clear Uh, G. I. Williamson explains in his study on the Westminster Confession, he says, it's clear that God regenerates and we repent and believe. We repent and believe after God regenerates. The wind comes, we do not know where it comes from or where it goes, but we repent and we believe as God regenerates. Secondly, this gives us humility. And, you know, this is something that's so important because it it really opposes our pride. If you were to study the passage in Ephesians 2, you would see that no one has a right to boast because our faith is a gift from God. As Jesus is really teaching regeneration to Nicodemus here, he does get to the gospel. He doesn't just give him a little lesson on regeneration. Hey, this has to happen first. But no, he points him to the gospel and gives him something to look forward to because in verses 14 and 15, he references the bronze serpent. And if you go back and read Numbers 21, you'll see that the people of Israel were, you know, disobedient, living in rebellion, and all of a sudden these snakes appear and they bite people. And they were venomous. And Moses put a bronze serpent up. And if they looked to the bronze serpent, they lived. And so you may say, well, that's kind of odd. There's a lot of odd things in the Old Testament. But that was foreshadowing Christ who would be lifted up, and that's what he is referencing here. This is how Jesus points Nicodemus to the gospel. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Which sounds so much like verse 16. He pointed him toward the way of salvation. But what's interesting here is that that this is showing us also the mission because when we go back in the Greek, here's something that's, you know, perhaps the most striking thing in this passage is that in verse 12 and and 7 and 11, these three verses, Use the word "you" six times, and in the Greek, it's plural. And so, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's saying "you" in the plural. Why would he do that? If we were from New Jersey, it'd be "you guys." You guys don't believe in me. You don't. You, you reject me. If in the South, it might be "you all." And so why would he speak to Nicodemus in the plural? You see what Christ is doing here, he's actually starting the New Testament church as he teaches Nicodemus. And see, Nicodemus is a teacher, and the Bible for the Pharisee would be the 39 books of the Old Testament. That was his Bible. And so he's really sort of you know, challenging Nicodemus when he says... You're a teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things. In other words, Nicodemus should understand Ezekiel 36. He should understand that the only reason Israel was saved was because of God's mercy and grace in Israel's life in the Old Testament. God got so angry with Israel's disobedience on a number of occasions and said, I'll just wipe them out and start over. And Moses said, no, no, don't do that, for your name's sake. The passage, another passage that was read earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Paul is there showing us mercy and grace. The same thing that Christ is teaching Nicodemus here is that mercy that's mentioned in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, while we were dead in our sins, we were children of wrath, but God in His rich mercy made us alive in Christ Jesus. We've been saved by grace. We all know that. You know, um, in Morgantown, we named our church Mercy. And um, part of what led me to that was as a former RUF campus minister, I just was reflecting so much on indelible grace music and how much we we just meditated on the word mercy. And in my personal opinion, I kind of felt like grace lost its meaning. Now, I know grace is a wonderful word, right? God's riches at Christ's expense and so on. But the word mercy almost seems harder to misunderstand because when you receive mercy, you're not getting what you deserve when God is merciful to you. God is merciful to us and gracious to us, and He gave us the gift of faith. You see, that is the gospel that Jesus is trying to explain. It's like we've all been snake bit, and we have to look up. We have to look up to the cross And if we believe and we look up to the cross, then we will be saved and have eternal life. Nicodemus had to get the gospel straight. And what do we learn about Nicodemus? Is we learn that the gospel is not just about Nicodemus, as we'll see here in a moment, but it's Christ's mission through Nicodemus. Just as when you became a Christian... It wasn't just about you, but it was about what God was going to do with you in mission. Whether it be in Knoxville or anywhere else, the Lord has brought you in your Christian life. How he would do ministry through you as a vessel. In the flow of the story of John's gospel, I love the fact that Nicodemus is actually told in chapter 3 that he is not a believer. You see, Jesus here is discipling him, and he says, you don't accept my teaching. You don't believe. You know, and that's that's, that's sort of striking in a way. But let me ask you, who defends Jesus in front of the Pharisees in John chapter 7? It's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus doesn't believe in chapter 3, but in chapter 7, He speaks up for Jesus' sake and says, we should should hear him. We should hear his teaching. In other words, don't rush to judgment. Let's, Let's find out who this man is. He speaks up for Jesus. Could be faith. Could be moving that way. But thirdly, what understanding regeneration does for us is it really gives us affection for worship. You know, we as Christians can be like the person who says, well, I turn the key and the car works and takes me to work, I don't care about it. I was doing, once doing premarital counseling with this young couple and, um, and uh, for, somehow cars came up and I, I asked the young lady about her car and she said, oh, I've had it f- several years And uh, she said, I've never changed the oil in it. You know, and as a dad, I'm like, oh, you're kidding. (laughs) I've never changed the oil. And you may say, well, that's not that important. Maybe, not the most important thing in the world. But we need to understand a little something. Even when it comes to driving, you come to a two-way stop, and you have a left signal, and the other person wants to go straight but you got there first, whose turn is it? Right? When you teach someone how to drive a car, you never dreamed the hundred things you have to say. (laughs) Everything is not assumed and is not a given, right? Jesus here has the burden for Nicodemus and for us to understand that regeneration precedes faith. That regeneration must precede faith, and that is how we really understand mercy and grace. That's how our hearts will experience humility and worship, real worship and deeper worship. But understanding regeneration also calls us to pray. I know that I could have the biggest Mission of North America account and have all the money I could ever want as a church planner, but if God's Spirit doesn't convert hearts, if it doesn't help me reach people who are undiscipled, if it doesn't help me reach people who need fellowship, then no church will ever be planted. God's Spirit has to be at work. One of the things I learned about working with RUF for several years is is RUF used to say, when you raise support, you are building a prayer and financial support base, that you must build a prayer base along with a financial support base, or it will mean nothing. If God doesn't change hearts, if he doesn't regenerate college students, then your RUF will have no effect. It'll just be a job. And that's why I invite you to pray for our church plant, pray for conversions. I have a church planning coach and he tells me, Kurt, you really need to pray for, you know, a few conversions. That would set your church plant on fire, and I I think he's right. And we pray for that invite you to pray with us. Of course, everything in church planning, as I understand here at Resurrection, you've not elected a session yet, so you're not particularized, you're in process. And I went through that process in 2013 in Morgantown. It's exciting to see God grow a church and pull it together. Well, the last thing I want to ask you is, who buried Jesus? Nicodemus buried Jesus. Nicodemus risked his life, and he shows up in John 19 with Joseph of Arimathea and buries the body of Jesus, gives him a proper Jewish burial. Where are the disciples? Where are the twelve that he poured his life into for three years? Nicodemus, the Pharisee of John chapter 3, buries the body of Jesus. I believe he was regenerated by then. This is remarkable in a way, just to look at this story and see that he's mentioned three times in the whole narrative of John's gospel. And Nicodemus knew what it was to be born again. You know, when we read John chapter 3, I I think we we sort of feel sorry for Nicodemus in a way. Jesus is teaching him things. He's like, well, I don't understand. I I can't go back in my mother's womb. What are you talking about? But God graciously regenerates him by his spirit. And he has faith in the Savior, the King of Kings. And he shows up to bury him with a proper burial. All of this teaches us this it's by grace you have been saved, not of yourselves. This is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that humbles us and reminds us, Lord, that the only difference between us and our non-believer who just drinks coffee on Sunday morning and reads the paper is your grace. Lord, we long for grace and mercy to transform us, to have hearts for our lost neighbors, Lord, for it to transform our communities. May we be like the Apostle Paul in saying that I am what I am by the grace of God. And, Lord, through this, would you continue to stir up our hearts to worship. Stir us up to mission. Stir us up to the mission of prayer, of laboring for people to come to faith, to be transformed, to grow in grace and to be used by you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.